Well, hello, everybody out there who has given this podcast um, some time from their day. Uh, we appreciate it. I am Al from Phantom Correspondence, also known as Red Lanyard, also known as the creepy horror guy who likes yeah. Halloween a whole lot. That's me. And I am here with my wonderful friend and co-Phantom Correspondent, um, Josh, also called the Wise Sage. Also called the the pastor who goes on various rants uh, <laughs> about political issues while discussing a horror film. Um, Josh, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I've got I've got I've I've got other political rants if uh, queued up if we need to do that. Oh, oh boy! You know I'm always game for your political rants. I'm, <laughs> I'm down, baby. Um, but yeah, we are the Phantom Correspondents, and we are doing a few special episodes of our podcast fandom talk which you are at right now uh, we're doing a few episodes on various horror films because this is horror fest my friends um look at me kind of introducing that with almost a a bop to like the i married before christmas right there you know there you go uh, but um yeah we um we queue up some horror movies to talk about and we talk about them and you might love everything we have to say. Um, you might hate everything we have to say, but we're going to talk about it because this stuff is worth talking about. It's very interesting and it's very important um, to to the film industry and the fandom in general. Um, this year, we're talking about um, films that have had a particular influence either on pop culture, either on the horror industry itself, whatever it may be. Just very influential horror films from various horror subgenres. Um, but before we get into all that, I do want to say, um, if you, if you're listening to Phantom Talk, if you're thinking, hmm, horror isn't really for me, you know, I still, um, sleep with the lights on, you know, the scariest thing I watch is, is Law and Order SVU, which let me tell you that shows scarier than most of what we talk about yeah, here. That can be pretty horrifying. It is. Um, but, um, if you think horror isn't quite your vibe, don't worry, we're still doing other kinds of podcasts. We just got done um, with our last in the series of podcasts where we all talk about the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle films. Uh, we just got done with a super long episode about uh, both of the films produced by Michael Bay. Um, always, you know, an, an interesting figure to talk about in the film industry. Um, so definitely check those out. Um, Josh and one of our other admins, um, uh, Raven is also doing um, various podcasts about the challenge episodes, um, which is a fun reality show. I've never seen the second of it, but I still enjoy their podcast. They're a blast. So be sure to check that out. Um, and to go along with Horror Fest for the podcast, um, I'm also doing a couple of videos on our YouTube channel, um, YouTube slash the Phantom Correspondence. So be sure to check those out as well. Um, but without further ado, let's get into our movie for tonight, which... Last week we did The Exorcist, very fun podcast, very topical podcast as it turned out to be. Uh, today we're talking about a film that undoubtedly very influenced by The Exorcist, uh, very much continuing in the kind of horror um, style and legacy that um, The Exorcist created, and that is the film The Conjuring. Um, directed by James Wan, um, released in 2013, um, and if anybody doesn't know a whole lot about horror, um, but you know a lot about film, you'll probably know that James Wan, here for a while, here for probably the last 20 years or so, um, Josh, you might have something to say about it, but here for the last 20 years or so, James Wan has kind of been the name in horror as far as horror directors go um some of his films have been um variously received by critics and audiences um some loved some hated but i mean when it comes to horror franchises and horror films in the last 20 years um it's hard to go against the guy who did saw insidious and the conjuring franchise um josh just just kind of right off the bat 
what are kind of your feelings about um, James Wan, possibly some of the contributions he ma he's made to horror, um, him as a, a film director himself? Uh, what kind of thoughts do you have about him and his films? You know, I think as a as a director, I think he's kind of all over the place as far as his quality is concerned. Because um, I like I like The Conjuring and I like Insidious. Uh, I, the Saw movies I could I could do without. Um, but then I like you know you've also got things like you know he does the Aquaman movie and you know and uh, he you know I mean that's you know kind of outside of his uh, outside of his realm of of expertise so to speak. But I thought it was really good. I, or I mean as good as good as a DC movie is going to allow itself to be. And uh, it, ha it had a, I mean, it had a really cool aesthetic to it and everything. So like, I, I think he's, he's kind of, uh, he's, he's kind of inconsistent for me. I know you, you had kind of, uh, I haven't seen Malignant yet. I know you had somewhat of a, uh, of a, you had an opinion, but it didn't seem to be good or bad. You just said it was something. Um, I did say that it was something. You are entirely right. Um, before I get into that uh, real quick, I just want to let everybody at home know um, if the pacing of this um, episode seems kind of off, it's just because I'm coming down with kind of a bad cough. So um, if there's a delay between um, me and Josh on this episode, um, it's just because, uh, well, one, we're doing it over Skype because we live in two different places. Uh, but also I may just be... Um, hitting the mute on myself um, in between talking points, um, just so you all don't have to hear me hack up along um, as as the seasons change. But um, yeah, so James Wan, um, I think you hit the nail on the head when you kind of described him as all over the place, um, even within the same franchises, uh, which is really interesting. Um, I think if you watch the first Saw, and then you watch like Saw number four, or five, and I told you, hey, this was directed by the same guy. Um, a lot of people may be surprised if they didn't already know. Um, same can be said kind of about the Conjuring films. Um, if you watch Conjuring 1 um, and then watch Conjuring 3 or even hell, Conjuring 2, there's a tonal and just kind of quality shift. Uh, you might be surprised, but um, his influence... Um, regardless of what we think about his talent and his execution, um, his influence on the industry um, is is very hard to argue against. I mean, this is a guy who has made some of the most influential horror franchises um, over the last f 15 or so years. Um, and perhaps the most influential is what we're talking about today with The Conjuring. Now, The Conjuring, for people who don't know, I do encourage everyone to go and watch um, The Conjuring before um, listening to this podcast in its entirety, uh, because despite how much I harp on some of the issues in the franchise, um, I do think The First Conjuring is actually a very good horror movie. Um, for those who don't know, Conjuring is based um, pretty generously on... Um, the quote-unquote real-life reports of um, a real-life couple of quote-unquote paranormal investigators called Ed and Lorraine Warren. And the Warrens um, did a bunch of investigations into various paranormal phenomenon over the years. Um, the Conjuring and subsequent films afterwards in the franchise are about the case files of some of those investigations. Um, to the point that The Conjuring, the original name of The Conjuring, was going to be um, The Warren Files uh, before being changed. I think the change was a good um, decision as far as the name goes. Conjuring kind of rose off the lips a bit better than The Warren Files. Um, but uh, The Conjuring, both this film and subsequent films, ask you to do something that's not entirely new, to the horror industry. Um, but it's something that does kind of paint the context of these films. And that is, it asks you to watch these with the thought, either in the forefront or in the back of your mind, that this is supposed to be based on a true story. Now, again, this is not uncommon. Um, one of the earliest um, 
times that a director asked you to, to have that kind of thought, uh, that kind of context with you as you watch something uh, was back in the 70s with Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which for people who don't know, um, the based on a true story is doing just, I mean, LeBron James on the Cleveland Cavaliers amounts of work um, <laughs> for Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, some debate on how much work that phrase does for The Conjuring. Um, so Josh, let me ask you this. With that in mind, does the idea that The Conjuring is based on a true story or true events, what does that do for you when you sit down to watch this horror film? Uh, I don't really, you know, I I don't trust based on a true story uh, that much, um, particularly in, in regards to this. You can do a really, really quick Google. And I, I find this weird because w when you when you do a Google search of Ed and Lorraine Warren, uh, you know, the, what this movie's based on is actually one of their failures. You know, the Perrin family actually ends up kicking them out of the house because they they weren't able to help anybody. Um, so that's a, that's an interesting thing to know, you know, either going into this movie or after seeing this movie that basically the ending of this movie, which is a very happy ending and a very, you know, I mean, it definitely sets up for sequels, but like, it's a very happy ending, you know, very, um, you know, everyone kind of walks off, you know, Patrick Wilson and, uh, Ron Livingston share this, like, you know, we're gonna, we're so glad we get to be good husbands and fathers kind of moment. Uh, and everything and so everything's kind of hunky dory but in real life the parent family just you know they they left the house and the house to this day supposedly is still haunted and that whole area is is messed up you know and uh uh has all these like paranormal issues going on with it and so when you when you know that it kind of it, it does you know i, I it does kind of cast a um I, I won't say a power on on the conjuring, but it does. I think you know. I think there is some semblance of um, you're almost required to suspend your disbelief here. Um, I kind of wish it didn't say based on a true story, although I know they have to do that because of Ed and Lorraine Warren, uh, who are you know actual factual people. Um, but I think I think the movies also would be better if they had just created two two characters and just you know went with it because it's not like you need. You know, it's it's not like you really need Ed and Lorraine Warren, those people for this film, you know, because like I said, what happens in this film is vastly different than the reality of, of what happened and vastly different than than what Ed and Lorraine Warren did, you know, uh, which was, you know, depending on depend, depending on how nice you're being is either a uh, made themselves, uh, you know, was, you know, health trying to be helpful, but ended up being harmful or B were a couple of shysters that made a lot of money off of, off of studying the occult. Uh, you know, I'll let, I'll let Al rant on that a little longer, uh, than, than me, but the, but you know, like I said, the base on true story, I, when I see that particular front of a horror movie, I'm like, you, yeah, I know, I know that's doing a lot of heavy lifting and, uh, very rarely do I take that, uh, take that to heart. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting, right? I understand the appeal of of the phrase. I understand its utility um, in trying to create a substantial amount of fear uh, within the context of the film. Because obviously, you know, you go and watch a horror movie, and it might be scary. It might have scary things happening um, that frighten you or disturb you. Uh, but in the back of your mind, the ultimate comfort is always, you know, this is a... Um, this is a film production. This is something I'm watching. I can hit stop at any time. I know at the end of the movie, the credits are going to roll and I won't have to worry about it because it's a work of fiction. By placing that phrase inspired by a true story or based on true events or whatever it might be, um, it is an attempt to kind of take that security away, right? It's an attempt to increase the fear factor of a horror movie by saying, well, you know, sure, the credits are going to roll on this, but what really inspired this, you know, that's very real. And it kind of forces a viewer to think about that in a way of saying, okay, well, how much of this was a real inspiration? You know, how much of this um, should 
stick with me after the credits roll because there's this idea that you have to grapple with the realness of the horror story instead of just being able to turn it off whenever you want to. Um, now, that being said, um, that phrase is particularly interesting when used with the Warren films, which is what I've taken um, to calling them, um, <laughs> The Conjuring and other films within the cinematic universe. Now, again, I think The Conjuring is really good. We're going to talk about the, um, um, the film itself here in a bit. But it's almost impossible to talk about The Conjuring and The Conjuring cinematic universe, the CCU, if you will, um, without talking about the portrayal of the Warrens. Um, if, you've, if you've spent time with me in Horror Fest at all, um, you'll know that I'm kind of I'm kind of a history nerd when it comes to the occult and when it comes to paranormal investigations and things like that because I find it inherently interesting. Um, again, as I said on the last episode, I'm kind of a skeptic. I don't really know how much of that I believe. I tend more towards not believing hardly any of it um, than I'm sure a lot of people do. But um, it's... It's difficult to separate what The Conjuring does as a movie from what it says about the Warrens as people. Because the Warrens were people who who basically kind of <laughs> almost inspired a smaller scale satanic panic before the satanic panic happened, right? Um, they'd hear about strange happenings and strange occurrences and interesting phenomena and they'd say well can we investigate it it could be a ghost it could be you know demonic presence it could be almost anything can we come and investigate that and usually um as josh has pointed out with this very case either they weren't very helpful at all um they came away with no real evidence to show that they helped or didn't help one way or the other or they used it to gain a lot of fame, a lot of TV appearances, a lot of press tours and things like that. Um, so it's difficult to talk about these movies without talking about the more insidious, anybody catch what I did there? The more okay. insidious <laughs> origins and context of what's going on behind the history of the movies, which I'll get into a little bit more towards the end of the podcast. But first, let's focus on the film, because, again, the film, I do think, is a really solid horror movie. I think it's one of James Wan's best films he's ever made. Um, Josh, just I'm asking you about the film and the things that happen in it. Um, can you give me any specific scenes or any occurrences that happen within the film that really impressed upon you? Um, you know, this is a high quality horror film. Um, anything that struck you as not very impressive at all. Um, anything to kind of um, talk about the tone of the movie and what you thought of it as a whole. So I'm going to make a I'm going to make a neutral. I promise this is a neutral statement. It's going to sound like a political statement, but it's a neutral statement. OK, the success of The Conjuring and all of its offshoots from Annabelle, the nun, uh, you know, uh, what's the, uh, there, there's another one I'm missing, but anyway, but all, all the, I think there's nine movies in the universe. Now the success of, of the conjuring and, and everything that's with it. Um, the reason it's successful is the same reason that, and, and the reason I think it caught people off guard is the same reason that, uh, the Donald Trump campaign was as successful as it was. Because if you look into what was happening in 2016 and when this movie came in 2013, there's this there's this interesting backlash that's happening with with millennial culture uh, and and going into Gen Z culture and really coming from Gen X culture, uh, where there's this interesting backlash that's happening against societal norms. And that's happening against uh, particularly faith in a lot of ways. And I'm not I'm not trying to sit here and talk about like how persecuted Christians are or anything like that. I'm not saying that. But there's this idea, particularly among people where, you know, just like, you know, Christianity, faith in general, a lot of it, there's a backlash against it. And when you watch a lot of horror movies, for the most part, you know, particularly I mean, we just watched one of the exorcists, you know, faith is either 
ineffectual or false. You know, that's pretty much how faith works in horror movies um, when they're dealing with the occult or whatever. You know, the the strength is always within the the demon or the ghost or whatever. And then, like, you know, some some somebody's holding a cross while shaking and, you know, and yelling at the demon. That tends to be tends to be how most of these movies go. What The Conjuring does, it's interesting, you know, and and that's different and that I think is the reason it's so successful is that it's a movie that focuses on this idea that, yes, there are demons, yes, there's evil out there, but if you have faith, you can't overcome it. And that's a, that, is, that is a type of statement that is not made a lot in popular media. Um, you know, this, the, I mean, I, I'm thinking like when I was, when I was watching it this afternoon, tonally, you know, what stuff that's being stated in this movie, um, is very similar to like these, <laughs> these movies I grew up with that were, you know, uh, you know, kind of evangelical indie movies, you know, where like there'd be a problem and someone, if someone prayed about it long enough, you know, they could overcome the problem. And Conjuring leans into that hard to the point where you have a moment where, like, you know, the dad is like, well, we're not church-going people. And Ed Warren goes, well, you might want to think about changing that. You know, that's a – I don't think, you know, I I don't think – I think that that's almost overlooked what an interesting statement that is. Because – and what ends up happening is that this is a type of movie that I, like, you know – Unless you just have a serious issue with Catholics, which some evangelical Christians do, I don't know what evangelical Christian could watch this movie and find a problem with. Because it's literally a movie where the two things that beat the demon are faith and the power of motherhood. You know, those are the two things that beat the demon in this movie. And that is such a such a, a weird concept to have in a horror movie particularly at this time. And if you look at, at what's happened with all of the other movies that come out, even the ones that tend to have, you know, cause they all tend to have somewhat dark endings cause they all have to go into the another one. But if you look at what's happening in all these movies, every single one of them begins and ends with this concept of faith, you know, and you better find faith if you're going to deal with this. Um, and so, I don't know, honestly, how I feel about that, because I like you, I, I tend to, to, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to make a statement like there isn't there, there is, or there isn't demonic forces, but with a lot of things, I tend to be more skeptical on it, uh, particularly with, with how things are portrayed movie wise. Um, but that tone of the movie, which is just from the beginning to the end of this movie is, you know, faith is what, uh, you know, faith is what overcomes uh, demonic forces. That tone is such a 180 from The Exorcist, um, where you know faith is ineffectual. It was really almost jarring to watch it again. Um, now, as far as the movie being made goes, uh, or the, how how the movie is, as far as like uh, from a from a shot by shot uh, uh, critique, uh, the movie. You know, and James Wan's good at this. And, and it's one of the things like I almost don't want him to get much bigger than he is because James Wan is very good at taking a movie that costs $10 million to make and making it seem like it costs $100 million to make. There are really impressive uh, special effects, really impressive scenes in this movie that work strictly because of of how limited the budget is. Um, so like, I think some of the worst parts of the movie are actually when you see the demon, uh, Bathsheba, because when, when the creepiest, some of the creepiest parts of the movie are just based off, you know, uh, Vera Farmiga playing Lorraine Warren and how she just walks around the house and feels this presence and just her acting and her ability and the way things are shot and how some things are just always kind of off kilter and how, you know, how, how things are framed and how, you know, you know, there's always you're always looking over someone's shoulder, you know, almost out of fear because, you know, someone's going to be standing there, you know, uh, stuff like that is really James Wan's really, really good at. And so there was a there was a real, you know, w- when this movie came out, there was a real difference in how this this movie was being made because almost because of how little uh, 
uh, a bill, uh, monetary help they had, that almost made the movie better because they were relying on more practical effects. Uh, to the point that there's some I still don't know how they do do them, but I mean they're they're definitely practical. But like, you know, there's several scenes where someone's being dragged across the floor and things like that, and I they're they're just very well done. You know, the entire scene the there's a scene that starts. It's almost it's only a couple cuts, but there's a scene that starts where Officer Brad sees the um, uh, sees the the maid who has killed herself. And then, you know, he, it freaks him out. And so then he goes and, you know, he, he tells Ed. And when that happens and one of the little girls gets drug across and gets slammed into, into the walls and stuff. And, like, you know, it, it's just this really, really well done scene that when you look at it is basically, you know, just just really done through the, the acting performances and then how things are being shot. Um it, it it's 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 really it really is a strong strong movie. Um, you know, I I I I liked it a lot more uh, from a from a filmmaker stand or from a from a filming film standpoint uh, this time when I watched it because there were things I was looking for. Um, just you know, it's little things like uh, you know when when they tell the little girl to come in uh, after they first get there and she's found the music box. And so, like, there, they you see it from the the sister's perspective, um, and she's shouting out, and like the, the the way they zoom in on her, so they can take in the entirety of of their you know of that area, um, the to kind of like give you a concept of how isolated they are, stuff like that's just really really good, and and that's the type of stuff that James Wan has a real good eye for, um, and so you know I. I, there's a lot of problems with with uh, uh, with some of the movies that came after this one, um, but this movie I think is is really really close to a modern classic, um, and and really really just a very a very strong, um, a, a really a, a very strong horror movie that once again is is based on like a ten million dollar budget, which by the way. This movie was the most profitable movie of 2013. Didn't make the most money, but it was the most profitable because this thing made four times its budget the first weekend that was out. Um, and I, and that's what all these one, <laughs> you call it the Warren verse. I'll call it the one verse. That's what all the one verse movies do uh, is because they're shot on such a low budget. They make so much money in that first weekend that that, you know, that's that's why they're so successful. And that's why you keep seeing them. Um, and, uh, so I, I, that, I think that's, that's interesting, uh, to, to consider, you know, James Wan's almost created, uh, you know, something of his own, uh, as far as like, you know, taking horror movies kind of back to their beginnings. Um, because when you look at something like Nightmare on Elm Street, you look at Friday 13th, you know, all these movies were, were made on a really a shoestring budget back in the eighties. Um, and, you know, we're going to we're going to talk about some movies <laughs> in a couple in, you know, in a while that were the uh, the the uh, budget kind of exploded and, you know, horror movies became just another thing. But these movies really have an old school aesthetic to them where it's, you know, I don't know, man, figure 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 something out because we only got, you know, five thousand bucks to get this thing done. You know, uh, so she's got she's got to get drug across the floor. So figure something out for that, you know, and and that kind of of uh, adversity breeds really good art sometimes. And this this movie's a, a good good example of that. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm with you, and I realize <laughs> I realize that as I talk about um on the first Conjuring, um, it's going to be almost kind of a whiplash for some people. Who have kept up with some of the things I've written over the years for Horror Fest, because it seems like all I do is just is just crap all over <laughs> on the Conjuring verse. But again, um, I agree with you, Josh. I think the first Conjuring is is really really good. Um, it does a lot of things really effectively. Um, one of the reasons why I get so frustrated with um, the sequels and the spinoffs is that. Is just in the disparity between the quality of those films and the quality of the first one. Um, you know, so frustrating because I want 
um, that quality to be um, consistent. Um, but I um, know this first one is great. I think one of the scenes that is particularly great that honestly is going to has stuck with me since the first time I saw it in the theaters in 2013. And I think it's, it's going to stick with me for the foreseeable future. It's just one of those scenes is when um, she's, um, she's hearing the, the sounds in um, the basement of the house and she has, um, and she has the box of patches that really do really cool effects with the lighting of the scene. Mm-hmm. And she's playing the clapping game. Um, and then um, the hands just appear and clap um, beside her. Um, I think that just the cinematography of that, the tension behind that scene, um, the effect from the match for the lighting of that scene, just everything about that scene, I think is really an iconic scare um, in the horror industry. And James Wan, it's kind of a wild thing. When James Wan wants to be subtle with his films, um, he does it to a really effective um, result. He really does. Uh, I'm not going to sit here and try to tell you everything that James Wan has ever done is is in the art of subtle horror, because it's not. But... Um, when he wants to be, he's really good at the subtle, small, quick scares that happen that aren't necessarily jump scares. They can be, but more small details that set the scene, that set the tone of the film. He's so good at at doing that. Um, and that honestly has been very influential for horror just within the last eight years um watch you know haunting of hill house haunting of blind manor um some of the most successful horror series a lot of those touches a lot of those passive you know figures in the back or small small movements within the environment of the scene um are very very good and very effective and that's something that James Wan does really well. And again, apparently just when he's in the mood to, because sometimes he'll go to the exact opposite end of the spectrum and do something completely over the top. Yeah, I think um, I think speaking to your uh, to your point there, there's a scene where um, <laughs> it, it, it's a scene that that still stays with me. Even though there's nothing to, it's literally just a slamming door. But there's a scene where I can't remember which one of the girls is. I think it's. I think it's the the second youngest one uh, with the with the short hair, and she keeps getting woke in the middle of the night. Uh, someone's grabbing her foot, she doesn't know, and finally she wakes up and she's like, you know, she sees something. And like, what's great is the way it's shot is, you know, you're looking for what she's seeing. There's nothing there. There's nothing there for you to see, but because there's darkness where she's looking behind her sister, her sister gets up to try and see it too. Because there's darkness of where she's, you're looking for it as well, um, and they just keep going back to it. And the whole scene's carried by the acting of the the actress, and then just how things are shot with such really good dynamic uh, effects of light, but also darkness. Juan uses darkness really well um, because a lot of times when people use a dark movie. Uh, or when they use darkness in a movie, it's there to obscure people. And so then you just get kind of angry about it. But Juan does this thing where he makes almost a, uh, he makes almost just like, he draws a line between where the darkness is and where the people are. And you're never, you're never obscured from a, from who the people are that you never see them obscured or anything, but there's always a dark area that's getting obscured where anything could be happening. Uh, and Juan does that really well, and I mean, he and he did that really well in Insidious too. And he and and I, th- I agree. I think a lot of people copy him on it. Uh, you know, Sinister, uh, which is supposedly the scariest movie of all time. I don't I don't know why we didn't do that one, uh, but that one was both the scariest movie of all time. But Sinister does that. I mean, Sinister bases its entire movie off of off of that kind of scare um, because you're always looking for where Bagul is. Um, so yeah, I, I think, yeah, I think you bring up a good point with how he, how he shoots things. Uh, and, and I think, um, uh, I think that's part of what, what has made him so successful. 
Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just really um, impressive how he can how he can create such an effect with just small t t touches. Um, it's really impressive. Um, I'm glad you brought up Sinister. Um, I like <laughs> I like Sinister a lot. Um, it's not on the queue for this year. We may probably talk about that one down the road because, as you said, it was voted um, as the scariest film of all time, um, which seems to be almost an impossible thing to really nail down objectively. But um, it's it's an interesting flick for sure. So we so hey everybody. If you're interested in us talking about s s Sinister in the future, then holler at us um, and let us know. Um, all that to say, um, again, I really do think The Conjuring does a lot of things really well. Um, it just does. Um, it has scenes where you watch it and and you're so you're so engaged with what's going on that you feel the horror even if it doesn't outright scare you you feel the tension from it and you you're able to kind of co-experience it and i think one of the ways that that happens so effectively is that the conjuring is one of those movies that i think really builds the potential for fear and for horror by getting you invested with the victims therein um this is a really important thing to pull off um another film that i think uh, does this particularly well is with um, a lot of the family in um, the Amityville horror um uh, which is also a movie um, i watch a lot that's uh, probably one we'll talk about in the future as well but um just the fact that in the conjuring you spend a lot of time with both the family and with the warrens as well you just spend a lot of time with these characters and you get the feeling that they're not on screen just to have an excuse to do a scary thing. You get the feeling that they're on the screen because you are supposed to learn about them. And the film wants you to be invested in them and invested in their success and invested in their experience. Um, and one of the things that it does really well in both this one and in the future Conjuring films, I do have have to give it to them as well in this um, this factor, is the portrayal of the relationship between Ed and Lorraine um, as a protagonist of the film. Um, Ed and Lorraine in the Conjuring franchise um, are just, there's really no other way to say it, Juan goes out of his way to show that these two are really in love that the love in their relationship is one of the foundational things that allow them to overcome all this horror and all these forces of evil is that they legitimately feel for each other and that they have a, a good relationship with each other. Um, and um, that's really accomplished by the fact that um, they casted terrific actors in those roles <laughs> between Patrick Wilson um, and Vera from Egan. Um, Josh, what kind of things um, do you think adds to the experience of watching The Conjuring by seeing the depiction of, of this relationship between the Warrens, um, putting aside kind of their real life history and what um, implications that had? Uh, um, how do you feel about how the Warrens are depicted as far as as far as a couple? as far as a relationship goes in this movie. Yeah, you know, that's it, it's interesting. I kind of touched on that, uh, 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 you know, when I was talking about how, you know, motherhood uh, or, uh, you know, the joy of being a mother is, is something that kind of saves uh, saves everybody at the end here. Um, but it, it's, it's, it's a, stuff like that, it's, it almost kind of makes me annoyed that they didn't just create a couple because i i mean here's the thing if, if, if you if you had just you know you're already making a fiction movie to begin with um just by just by the osmosis of what you're doing you know you're, you're taking a a event and expounding on you're already making a fiction movie i don't know why 
they need they felt the need to find you know two people or have two people that found them or i don't know how it worked out but i don't know why they needed to base this off of and lorraine because the moment you do that the controversy starts because if you had just done this movie with you know two random people that you made up then ed and lorraine you know would be two of the most likable protagonists in the history of horror movies in fact they might be the most i mean you 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 could probably correct me on this i don't know any horror movie that has a more likable two protagonists you know from the from the beginning they're selfless um they care about people um you know they you know this is a this is a movie that tells you very early on that lorraine um you know has experienced something horrible she sees something horrible due to her clairvoyant abilities and so every time that there's a a demonic presence you know she's she's targeted and yet you know when when the mother uh comes to see them and is like, you know, I need help. She says, absolutely. We'll go, you know, we'll, we'll go and we'll, we'll, we'll figure something out, you know? And she's constantly saying, you know, we're, you know, we have to help this people. And you can tell that she really cares for people. One of the interesting things about Lorraine is, I mean, Lorraine's what we would call, you know, correct me if I'm wrong on this out, but Lorraine's what we would call an empath. You know, if you take away her, her powers, although I guess her powers are really being an empath personified, you know, she understands people. She understands what motivates people. Um, in particular, you know, when you, that's that's what makes that scene where she she you know sees the picture of them on the beach, you know, and, and kind of sees that memory. But what Juan does really well is that seems foreshadowed by the fact that the first time she's ever in the house, she finds that photo and picks it up and looks at it. So she knows there's something there already. Um, she knows she's dealing with a family, uh, you know, that um, uh, that loves each other, that that, you know, deserves protecting that kind of thing. Um, and so that I think that that really helps you get into the characters um, and I, you just don't see that. I mean, like I'm thinking, you know, I, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking of, of likable protagonists in horror movies. I don't know. I mean, you know, we're, we're, I'll put it to you this way. We're getting ready to, with the n movies after this, like, you know, Sydney, Nev Campbell as Sydney is very attractive, you know, and, you know, I, I want to see her alive, but mostly because she's very attractive. And then when you've got uh, all the characters from I Know What You Did Last Summer, that movie begins with the concept of that, every, that everything that's happened to them deserves to be happening to them, you know? Um, and so you know the the idea of having two two protagonist characters in a horror movie that you're rooting for uh that's kind of novel you know i mean I, like i said al maybe you could tell me different but i can't remember having protagonists in horror movies that you really really root for uh maybe um help me what who's what's the name of the lead girl in uh friday uh not friday 13th uh, in nightmare on elm street uh would probably be the closest i could think of oh yeah yeah, that's true. That's true. That's a good choice. Um, yeah, I mean, thinking about it, um, a lot of the examples you almost have to think about are in the more recent films and kind of the post-conjuring um, era of horror films, you know. Um, a protagonist of, of Jordan Peele's films are usually very likable. Are usually characters who you can empathize with. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, um, yeah, no, you're right. It's he does a great job of creating characters who you want to care about, which um, is really an understated but but pretty damn important <laughs> part of of creating that sense of fear and horror is that you're invested in these characters and you want to see them win. You want to see them conquer these fears or defeat whatever the powers of evil are um and uh, that's just an, a very underutilized thing it kind of touches on this kind of trend in horror that develops in that um and that's been very criticized over the years especially in slasher films where you almost have to have to ask the question is the context being created where you almost root for the antagonist 
whoever or whatever the antagonist might be. I think that comes in very clear as early as, as Hicks's chainsaw. It comes in clear as far as um, as far as Friday the Thirteenth goes. Um, I talked about it last episode. I recently rewatched the original Halloween, and other than Jamie Lee Curtis. Just about every victim in that film is just insufferable. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> to the point where you're just kind of like, yeah, okay, man, like, you know, I see where <laughs> I see where you're coming from, Mike. Like, I'm, <laughs> I get, you know, I get it. But, mm-hmm. um, but um, I do think there's something to be said, how effective it can be to have protagonists who you care about, who you can relate to and who you can empathize with and how engaging that can create the film to be. Um, now, as we kind of wind down I'm on this episode, um, I want to ask you, Josh, um, excuse me, one real quick second. Um, Josh, I do want to ask you, um, excuse me, um, a similar question to what I asked you in The Exorcist, um, albeit in a very different kind of context of the film. Uh, I asked you in The Exorcist um, if you think that there's any kind of ethical responsibility on the part of what a film kind of shows and depicts. Um, Because The Exorcist was so influential both in in pop culture occultism and like kind of the reaction to it on the other side. Conjuring hasn't garnered that kind of reaction um, I'm not sure anything will ever garner that kind of reaction in the horror industry as far as The Exorcist and what it was able to do. But I do want to ask you, we talked about it some. Real life, the Warrens were not great people. Um, they lied. They lied a lot. And a lot of times they went in and did a lot more harm than good. Um how do you feel about this depiction of the Warrens? We talked about how in love they seem. We talked about how that power of their relationship comes in, how they're depicted as very selfless, uh, pro-social people. What is your opinion on that kind of depiction as far as being so contrary to what the real-life people are truly like? Yeah, I mean, I think that's the... That's the major issue with the movie, and I think that's what uh, is borderline dangerous about the movie. But also, the, so I, I said a neutral statement about, um, you know, about about uh, Donald Trump and stuff. I'll, I'll make an unneutral statement now. But this is the kind of thing. This is this is the kind of thing that breeds disinformation. I mean, right? I mean, that's what this is. Um, and this movie leans into. I, I mean, look. I, I could be wrong. I've never met James Wan. I'm going to go on and assume that James Wan and, you know, and his production company and, you know, all these people that make this, I'm going to go on and assume that they do not believe the Warrens any more than me and you do. And yet at the end of this movie, (laughs) we get this very, um, you know, we get this, this very high minded quote about how the devil's real, God is real, and we have to pick a side. And it's and here's the thing: I have no issue with that quote, except it's from Ed Warren, which places once again Ed Warren in this position of authority, you know, on on what's good and evil in the world. And you know, to your point, I mean, you know, I, I haven't studied them as much as you have. I'll take your credit, uh, you know, that they were just shysters. Um, you know, I. I I would assume that's what they were. Um, but, you know, and the thing is, like, when you're dealing with putting such authority in the hands of people that are, you know, objectively telling mistruths and have also objectively uh, profited from those mistruths, what you're doing is you're muddying the... Um, you're mudding the waters on a lot of things um, because this is a movie that'll tell you right now, you know, I mean, this, the, the point of this movie by the end of it, of course, is that the reason, you know, and this is on all three conjuring movies, the reasons for serial killers is demons. I mean, that's essentially what the conjuring universe tells you. 
that if there are serial killers, it's because of demonic influences. And that's a that's a dangerous path to go down. That is a very dangerous concept and path to go down. Um, you know, uh, for a lot of reasons. Um, but as far as like, but like at the same time, like, and th- th- this is what I'm talking about when I say I just wish it wasn't them. Because literally, if you remove Ed and Lorraine Warren from this thing, and you remove the the concept of you know based on a true story. What you essentially have is a family coming in, helping another family deal with their problem through the power of the love of those families, which is once, which is a, which is a novel concept for a horror movie, and it's it's what makes it stand out. It's one of the reasons why I promise you, you know, if, if you if you, I, I I I'd almost be willing to you know to place a bet on this. If you went up to people. Who, if you got a hundred people who said I normally don't like horror movies, and you said okay, but just give me three horror movies that you've liked, I'd almost guarantee the Conjuring's in there because of because of the themes that are surrounding the movie, because it's not just a movie about horrible things happening to people; it's about people overcoming those horrible things that have happened, um, you know, and they do it through goodness, you know, and so that's you know that is a that that's a novel thing in a horror movie. It's just really sad that it's clouded in all this disinformation. Um, so I, I know that's not really an answer to your question <laughs> because because honest truth is I don't know, you know, because I'm not going to sit here and say like, well, yeah, no one watched this movie because it's all about disinformation. But at the same time, you should probably go into this movie knowing that you know it's basically t- it's basically a movie that gives authority to two people that probably shouldn't have had authority. Yeah. No. I think that addresses the question quite well. Um, you know, I think that, and again, I do want to emphasize this, that this first film um, handles stuff the best out of all the other spinoffs and sequels and things like that. It really does. Um, when you get to talking about the Warrens, and what the implications of the Warren's inspiration mean for The Conjuring. It gets, it gets hard. It really does. It, I think I made the, I think I made this statement to you last year when I watched um, The Conjuring 3. I think I made this statement to you. Um, again, I made the comparison, you know, both um, the Conjuring and, and Texas Chainsaw Massacre both say, you know, inspired by true events or based on a true story. And I remember I watched Conjuring 3 and I texted you and I was just like, The Conjuring asks me to believe so much more than Texas Chainsaw ever did. Um, yeah. And, and the reason why I say that is because Texas Chainsaw. You know, it starts and pops up inspired by true events. All that asks you to do is believe that there's a family of weird people out there. Like, that's that's all it really asks you to believe. <laughs> that's that's the most insane, um, insane idea you have to entertain when you sit down and watch that. Um, with The Conjuring, by saying based on true events, it's asking you to believe that that there was some kind of evil spiritual power at work in this house and in this family. It asks you to believe that the Warrens were very good at exorcism. It asks you to believe that um, Ed's, that Ed's wife, Lorraine, was psychic about things, for lack of a better word. It asks you to believe that her psychic abilities were inspired and sent by God. It asks you to believe that Ed was able to conduct an exorcism without the blessing of the church. I mean, it asks you to believe a lot. Um, And when you know the background of what actually went on with the Warrens, it starts to almost take away from the film. There's a part where they consult with the priest, and the priest says, you know, um, this exorcism... It's not going to play out the way you want it to if you don't have the blessing of the Vatican. 
So I have to go, I have to talk to my people and they'll talk to their people at the Vatican and we'll try to get that going for you, sit tight. Um, and then things escalate and Ed Warren is just like, well, can't wait on the Vatican. I'm going to do this exorcism myself. And by the end of the movie, it works out like it, it really does. Um, you know, it isn't about the fact that Ed is doing the exorcism. As you say, it's about um, the power of of love and maternal love and and the godliness um, therein of that. But, I mean... Although, although, Al, to your point, to your point, Ed looks the demon in the face and casts that demon into hell. Like, that's canonically something that happens in this movie. Like, the last time you see Bathsheba is right after Ed goes, I condemn you to hell, and then Bathsheba's gone. So, I mean, to your point, yeah, it, it's asking you to believe... You know that I mean Ed's Ed's got some superpowers, you know, because yeah. he doesn't have the Vatican's blessing to do exorcisms, but he does want he does one. Yeah, it's true, and and where and where the rubber kind of eats the road for me when it comes to the Conjuring, and especially when you consider um, the legacy that the Conjuring leaves behind uh, with its sequels, um, is that. By saying, hey, this is based on real stuff. This was real people who did these kinds of things. You find yourself in an awkward position of rooting for these people who did, at best, questionable stuff. Mm. And at worst, write down evil, nefarious stuff. Right? Because I think about (laughs) something else to think about is last year, this is a plug for last year's Horror Fest, if you haven't checked out those episodes, last year we talked about the fan vote. We talked about the fourth kind. Um, I'm sorry to drudge up those those awful memories you've repressed. But we talked about the fourth kind. And one of the points you made, which was a very good point, was that you were uncomfortable with what the movie was doing in terms of the families of the people that actually... disappeared Mm -hmm. in that time period right you felt that it was insensitive towards those individuals and also to the families and loved ones of those individuals right i mean josh you get to conjuring three and you're basically rooting for the acquittal of a guy who killed a dude yeah i mean (laughs) i mean that's what it gets because Because he kills you because there's a super witch yeah because the (laughs) basis of the movie is that based on true events these are the warren files this is what really happened and in your mind of minds if you're being honest with yourself you're saying something isn't in alignment with what's going on in the movie because again if you're like me you're just like well demons don't exist (laughs) none of this stuff exists so you find yourself in the very compromised position of saying well you know i love the warrens i've grown to really love patrick wilson and and for me in these movies, and I hope things turn out for them, man. But boy, that guy killed a dude. I mean, how does that kind of factor in to the idea of, you know, how does the family and loved ones of that victim from that case feel about the depiction of the Warrens in Conjuring 3? Um, you know, how do the, the loved ones and descendants of the Perrin family in The Conjuring 1 feel about the depiction of their very real situation that the Warrens came into and were no help to at all. And now the takeaway from the movie is, wow, Ed is a super exorcist. And Lorraine Warren is God's personal psychic. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's where I get to because at the end of the day, the real life Warrens were people who hurt and victimized people. Um, for the record to be totally clear and clean, no, they never charged anyone for their investigation into their stuff. But they got paid at their expense. Um, well, they opened an occult museum. Exactly. You know, exactly. So. You can <laughs> you can go and hang out with a real Annabelle if you want to. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that's the main thing that stops me from talking about The Conjuring as as a classic because as i've said y'all this movie is really good it's really well executed um 
without these concerns, I'd say it's probably top 10 horror films for me um, because everything is so well executed and so well written and so well shot. Um, I mean, well acted. But I sit down and I watch The Conjuring and I feel unclean. <laughs> and I'm not trying to be dramatic. I really do. Because I ask the questions, how do the real people affected by these real events feel about these depictions of it? And in a way, I guess you could argue that that's a whole other type of horror that the movie accomplishes. <laughs> it's a horror of how you feel about your own experience, the knowledge, and and the viewing of the movie. But at the end of the day, that's where I kind of have to land on it is, you know, Beautifully executed, really enjoyable watch. Um, it, if you're really engaging with the material, it forces you to ask some uncomfortable questions. Yeah. Um, and usually the answers you won't really be happy with. But Al, I mean, that's the, here, here's the thing though. And like the fact that there's been, you know, nine of these movies now, not just kind of the conjuring, but all the others, you know, kind of proves that, you know, there's, if, if, if you, if you take, you know, the average movie goer, you know, you're going to have about a, a, you're going to have about 20% that are going to be, you know, um, you know, like skeptic, you know, just about all this stuff. And they're not going to go see it anyway. They're going to have about 20% that are, you know, if they see the movie, they're going to be like, you know, it's, it's ridiculous. Uh, not a, not a fair representation of religious beliefs, things like that. And then you've got like a 60% right in the middle of this, like, you know, Christian agnostic, whatever, you know, that is like, this is a movie for them. I mean, that's who this movie's made for. That, that, that this movie is the is the Marvel Cinematic Universe of horror movies, and the fact that there's nine of them proves that point because it's made for everybody. It's made for a wide variety of people who want to go see horror movies, and there's there's a bunch of horror movies out there that are not for that. I mean, the Wicker Man is like Christianity is not a good thing. Okay, by the end of that movie, that's where that's what away that's what you come away with from that, you know. And there's people who will go see this movie, which is which is where I come in as like this, this is what scares me about it. There's people that will go see this movie, you know. And to your point, because of how Ed and Lorraine Warren are portrayed as these, you know, super powered, you know, you know, demon fighters. They will see this movie, and once again, it's the same thing as The Exorcist, you know, almost portray and see demons everywhere, and all that, that that's where it becomes unethical to me, you know, because, you know, I, 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 I'm, not, I'm not here to make a, a statement about beliefs and demons or angels or anything like that, okay? But in a lot of ways, I do feel that you know, a lot of problems that are, that get thrown on to demonic possession, uh, once again, is really just us not understanding, you know, how humanity works, uh, or in the case of Ed and Lorraine Warren, being at the mercy of people who understand very well how humanity works. Um, and that, that's the danger of this movie. Um, and, but also to, <laughs> You know, at, at some point, I also got to be like, man, game respects game. You know, I mean, this this is this is like I said, this is a movie that I can't imagine, you know, any evangelical Christian having an issue with it. I mean, it's it's a movie that, you know, Trump's motherhood, you know, says motherhood's your your, your Trump card, you know, and says, you know, at the says very clearly at the very end of it, you either choose God or you choose the devil, you know. Um, and that, that's a, that's a, that's a moral statement <laughs> that the evangelical Christians would not have a problem with. And so, you know, I, I think, you know, I, I think you're on to something when you talk about how dangerous it is. Um, but like I said, to an extent, I almost got to be like Pat James one on the back. Cause he found a, he found a niche and he found a group of moviegoers. Um, and he has taken that to the nth degree. Um, because we'll see more Conjuring movies. I mean, they're going to make them. I mean, I think then they're a Nun 3 coming out or something soon. So, like, I mean, we're going to see more of these movies. Um, and and they're going to continue to make money. Every single one of them is extremely profitable. Even the bad ones are extremely profitable. 
and uh, you know, and that's 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 kind of its legacy. You know, I mean, there's there's not a whole lot of movies like this. Um, I mean, there's not there's not there's not a whole lot of horror movies that last that long, and uh, and so I mean, like it or not, you know, this this is a this is a legacy movie. If you were going to do you know, studies on horror movies. This is one you'd have to do because it's it changed the game in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah. that's entirely true. I mean, that's why um, it made it onto the list this year. Yeah, there um, you go. We wanted to talk about um, on the horror movies that influenced um, pop culture and influenced the industry. And I mean, it'd be <laughs> it'd be unfair to not include this one, <laughs> despite my own um, uh, thoughts and opinions about it. But um, um, y'all, this was a ride. I know it was. I know we talked about a lot of stuff <laughs> here with The Conjuring. Um, you might have gotten some kind of confused <laughs> signals from us on what we thought about it um, in total. But um, um, no, it's inarguable that um, The First Conjuring is high quality. It's inarguable that it's highly, inf- highly influential. But um, we do think that some of these questions and some of these um, some of these contextual issues about it um, are worth at least, at least thinking about and talking about. Uh, we've said it several times now. James Wan is really good at engaging his viewers with the story. So it'd be almost um, against the point <laughs> of his director style to to not be engaged by these kinds of things and talk about them. Um, and kind of, kind of str- struggle with them, if you will. But um, that is going to do it for tonight. Um, I'm in this episode of Horror Fest 2021 Fandom Talk. Um, y'all, we really um, appreciate you hanging out with us and spending time with us. Um, I say it um, almost every time I lead one of these podcasts. Is that there's a lot of podcasts out there. There's a lot of there's a lot of horror nerds who have dissected The Conjuring every which way. Um, so uh, we really appreciate that you choose to spend your time with us. Um, if you've enjoyed this content, uh, we do have a Patreon. We're just um, um, the fan of correspondence on Patreon. If you want to toss us any support, um, uh, we would absolutely adore and appreciate that. Um, if you don't have anything uh, to toss our way, though, we still just enjoy you engaging uh, with our content um the podcast stuff the youtube stuff um, the articles on the website uh we just appreciate you um, because fandom is for everybody and we hope that by doing um a horror fest this year we can show that uh, we're really passionate about these things um even if it comes off as insane rants about the historical accuracy of <laughs> of paranormal investigators or the or teenage Ninja Turtle lore or, or Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle or whatever it might be. But um, thank you again for hanging out with us. Um, Josh, f- thank you so much uh, for hanging out with me tonight and talking about this film. And I want to encourage everyone to be safe, uh, to enjoy Sam Hain in a safe and responsible way. And if you want um, just a little bit of say of one more podcast we do this month, we have a whole host of them lined up. But we do have one that's an open spot. Um, our editor-in-chief, um, Jacob, is going to put a fan poll, I believe on the Patreon, possibly on other uh, platforms for social media, too. You can vote from a set of options on what you want us to talk about um, to kind of close out of Horror Fest this year. So definitely check those out. Uh, they should get posted. Um, uh, they sh- they'll be posted by the time this episode airs so there you go but uh once again thank you very much phantom is for everyone so everybody be safe out there as you celebrate this halloween season